Hello everybody, I'm Party Parslow and this is Party in China, the story of my fascinating, frustrating and very, very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because too much happened, and it's not nothing but the truth because there are jokes and hearsay and conjecture and guesses and mistakes, and because I eventually went mad over there and insanity plays tricks with your memory. Welcome to episode 11. After a couple of months, the students no longer treated me with awe. In fact, most of the time I was faced with rampant disrespect. And not just me. Trevor and Jean also complained bitterly, and sometimes I'd find Chinese teachers in tears in the hallways after harrowing lessons. Nonetheless, I'd usually have a couple of allies in each classroom, students who paid attention and wanted to learn. So I developed an attitude that as long as the ones ignoring me ignored me quietly, I'd ignore them too. When this worked, it effectively reduced my class from 50 uncaring kids to five or six keen ones. At first, I had vied desperately for each student's attention, but then discovered how hard they worked, for how long and with how much homework. Juniors started their first class at 7.30. At noon, they broke for lunch until 2pm. Classes continued until about 5.45 with dinner at 6. And then a couple more classes until 8 or 8.30 at night. Seniors continued until 10 or later, so I felt they deserved one stress-free period a week. Initially, they'd responded well to my lessons about Australian animals. We'd look at photos of the animals and then they'd guess how big each one was. I'd have them pace out in the classroom how long a great white shark or a saltwater croc could be, much to their disbelief. Then we'd go through long lists of the creatures with me teaching them the finger across the throat gesture for things that could kill you. On the many occasions when the computer was broken or under lock and key, we'd play hangman or I'd teach them to cooey out the windows, alarming pedestrians and making bicyclists fall over. <laughs> it was funny. A cooey is the traditional way of making contact over long distances in the bush. It means come here in the language of the indigenous tribe who lived where Sydney is now. And it sounds a little like this. When I was homesick, I'd make the students sing Waltzing Matilda and be mightily amused when their regular teachers would stop me in the halls later on and ask what a jumbuck or a billabong was. One week, I taught them to sing, Hello, Mada. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. And they were terrified by the line, Don't leave me in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Watching them sing one of my favourite childhood songs made me very happy. But what left me absolutely delighted was a lesson about an old Aussie folktale, which I'd just made up. It's very hot in Australia, and a farmer and his wife decide to go to the billabong for a swim to cool down. They both wear big hats to protect them from the hot Australian sun, and when they take their clothes off to go swimming, the farmer tells his wife to keep wearing her hat while she swims. 
I then got the boys to go. And brought in the girls singing. Baby, take off your shoes. I'll take off your shoes. Baby, take off your dress. Yes, yes, yes. All the way to you can leave your hat on. The juniors were happy to comply, but some of the seniors suspected that I was having a laugh. The senior international class were my most advanced students. They were preparing to go overseas for further studies. So I didn't try you can leave your hat on with them. They'd never have fallen for it. Also, I felt they deserved some actual education and even indulged in lesson preparation. Besides, about half of the 12 were attentive and friendly. I enjoyed nowhere near 50% approval rating in any other class. We had three periods in a row on Friday afternoon and our classes usually started with photos of a different European city or nation and a discussion of the culture, food, sightseeing, tourist activities, that sort of thing. For the second period, we'd watch a TV show or a movie. Casablanca, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Criminal Minds, um, Elementary, NCIS, all big hits. And that would continue into the third period and we'd finish the week with discussion and review of what we'd just seen. It was the closest I'd come so far to feeling like a real teacher. My lesson preparation for all the other classes consisted of coming up with something, you know, a joke or a limerick, a song, a fairy tale, on the nearly 10-minute walk from flat to classroom on Monday morning. As I only saw each class once, that would become the theme for the whole week. My online course on teaching English as a foreign language had spent a lot of time on how best to work with your teacher's aide, the local who'd always be in class with you, translating and generally making themselves useful. In Diang Foreign Languages School, the only time a Chinese teacher shared my classroom was to tell me that it was his classroom and the timetable had been changed again. When the teacher wasn't there to tell me I was in the wrong place, the seniors would just yell, No! and point me in the right direction. But the juniors were a lot more fun. As I walked in, I'd be greeted with a chorus of, Oh no, Mr. Patty! and swarmed by small people who'd pull my arms, push my back and steer me by the hips into the correct classroom. Three months had passed thus and it was time for my third extension to the tourist visa as Sonny's had yet to legitimise my status. The second extension had gone pretty much like the first, despite the fact that even China's dumbest copper must surely wonder why a tourist would spend three months in Diang. However, for the third round, I didn't face China's dumbest copper. Far from it, she was sharp, suspicious, accusatory, and quite right. This time, pulling out a ridiculously convenient wad of 20,000 yuan to prove my solvency was greeted with the scornful sneer it deserved. And then, when asked why I'd spent so long in Diang, I replied it was because I had friends there. Chinese friends? Uh, no, they're foreign teachers. Are you a foreign teacher? Well, I'm foreign, and I'm a teacher. Are you working in Diang? No, 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 no. I'd been coached to never admit anything. You're a tourist. That's right. Where have you been? Oh, lots of places. Which places? Uh, uh, Diang? Obviously. Her excellent English was unnerving. Uh, Chengdu? We are in Chengdu now. Ah, yes. Uh, Tianjin? Well, Tianjin Airport. And? 
Um, Shanghai? Uh, uh, no. Beijing? The Great Wall? Uh, not yet, but I'd like to go. She suggested several more tourist locations, most of which I'd never even heard of. Fortunately, Jean had lent me a book, a tourist book about Sichuan, which I'd been skimming while on the loo. That's probably why I bent forward and put my elbows on my knees while trying to call to mind the pages of the destination, which I thought looked worth a visit. Um, uh, Mount Amay, uh, the Big Buddha in Lushan, uh, the Sea of Bamboo, uh, somehow I knew that she didn't believe me. Because she told me. I don't believe you. I think you are teaching in Diang. If I am right, there will be penalties. I will keep your passport. Do not leave Chengdu. Give this paper to whichever hotel you stay at. They will contact us. Do not go back to Diang. We will check. I will phone you and tell you when to come back into this office. You can imagine my mood walking back to Sunny's across Tianfu Square. This time, the giant Mao seemed even more threatening with his outstretched arm pointing directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 yuan. I burst into Sunny's, yelling about how upset I was, how I was going to prison, how much I resented being made to lie to the cops, how they were all incompetent idiots, and then... Their shocked, uncomprehending faces made me realise I'd been speaking too quickly and colloquially. After a slower, simpler reiteration, their advice was to go back to Diang and be at work tomorrow. But that was precisely what the copper had told me not to do. They're going to put me in jail. No, they're going to check the hotels. No, they're going to check with the school. No, she's going to ring me and tell me to come to the office. No, but what if she does? Then go to the office. If I'm in Diang, I'm at least an hour away. Tell her you're busy. It was clearly no use. I may as well go back to the school. If they were going to arrest me, they'd find me anyway. So I spent the week back at school, constantly expecting the heavy hand of the law upon the nape of my neck and hoping for deportation rather than incarceration. When I told my classes that I might be going away soon, a few students seemed honestly saddened. Mr Wong seemed disturbed less by the prospect of losing me than by the trouble of replacing me. Thinking I better look good for my court appearance, I walked into a nearby hairdresser's not even sure if they cut men's hair. But the beautiful proprietor... Proprietress? Proprietor? But the woman there waved me in and gave me a marvellous shampoo and scalp massage that sent me into a near trance. Then she started snipping away as I laid back my head in trusting comfort. I heard her ask me something, but as understanding a local usually involved me making them repeat themselves several times, while I listened closely and stared at their lips, I merely smiled and nodded. And that was when she cut my beard off. Not the whole thing. When I realised she was shearing a swathe across my face, I sat up fast, but it was too late. There was plenty of beard left, but it was ugly and asymmetrical and had to go. I made her save the moustache, but that was a mistake as it made me look like the sort of annoying neighbour who leans out of his front window to tell you that you can't park there. My magnum P.I. phase didn't last long, mainly because of Jean's look of absolute horror and Trevor's inability to stop laughing at the moustache, but partly because I had no idea what a moustache might signify in a Chinese jail. Next time, do I get locked up or kicked out? Detained or deported? 
interned indefinitely or returned immediately. Until our next episode, a lot of waiting, a lot of worrying for you, I imagine. I already know what happened because I'm Party Parslow and this is Party in China. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.